And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome back to a substitution edition of the uh, Warriors Plus Minus podcast. We've tossed Marcus Thompson and Ethan Strauss off to vacation, I guess. That's what I'm hearing. Who lets them both go on vacation at the same time? What kind of operation is, is going on here? That's terrible. Well, look, it's a great two-for-one swap. It's consolidating talent. We've <laughs> thrown those two off the, uh, you know, offshore for, for a week. And Danny LaRue, longtime athletic colleague, Welcome to the show and, you know, legendary NBA podcaster, Danny LaRue. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. I, I'll call Danny the first Avenger because he was the first, the Athletic Bay Area employee or person or whatever you want to call. And as Marcus and I will always remember, he recommended that they speak to me and Marcus. So Danny LaRue, the first Avenger. You're Captain America. Always good to have you on, by the way. Always good to have you on. But you're part of history. Maybe not a good part. Maybe not a good part. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> this moment in history, Danny, we didn't bring you on at the most positive time to discuss the Warriors. I am pulling it up right now. But since the start of March, so now this is over a month of basketball. We're talking about 4-11 and Warriors in a 15-game stretch. They have the... Sixth worst defense in basketball, 114.7 defensive rating since the start of March, a 15-game stretch. And let's scroll for offense. It's not good either. It's worse. Fourth worst offense in basketball. So we're talking about a bottom six offense and defense over more than a month of basketball. You know, a large chunk without Steph Curry, but the issues run a lot deeper the season is spiraling. They're now 23 and 27 before a Bucks game Tuesday. That's going to be hard to win. They're staring at maybe five games under 500. The Pelicans are near about to overtake them for the 10th, maybe. It's not good. And it's not good for several reasons we can get into. I'll kick it to LaRue first, the guest. What are you seeing with this team right now? To me, it goes back to a series of decisions that were made. I like to think of it as management to think about general manager, ownership, all that kind of stuff together, where the Warriors never really, after the Klay Thompson injury, which of course you couldn't have seen coming, but after that, they never really chose a path in terms of how they wanted to handle this season. You don't always have to, like sometimes you can do two things at once, but that can be, you know, do you want to develop young talent? Do you want to try to make the playoffs this year? Do you want to, you know, go in a couple of different directions? And so what happened was, they ended up kind of doing a little bit of both. And the problem with doing a little bit of both when you aren't good enough is that you end up doing a version of neither, which is a real challenge. 
I think there's no question that this is about Wiseman or it's not about Wiseman. You know, it's they can't quite figure out how to get him with the main group and or he's pulling the main group down. Their numbers are good without him and their numbers are not good with him. But you still got to play him or, do you, you know, you just decide he's not good enough to play. You know, they're, they're in that you can kind of feel that back and forth where Kerr is saying, I'm going to start him, I'm going to start him, but he's not going to put him back in in the second quarter or the fourth quarters, which happened last night. They were going to lose the game if they played Jim Wiseman more, probably, because it's, it's not going great. Although I thought he, you know, I think we all think he played pretty well last night, but the team doesn't play so great when he's out there. Maybe they get something more out of Looney. Maybe they get something more when, when they go small with Draymond. But I think that's it exactly. Like, you, you got to pick a lane at some point. And, you know, I'm looking up and going, it's April, right? Weren't we saying by January, February, they would start to figure out something with Wiseman? This is way past that now. This is April. There's been a lot of delays. There's a lot of been a lot of hesitation. We understand it's not easy. But, you know, you wake up on April 5 and they still don't know what's going on with James Wiseman. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, one way of articulating this, um, so I, I like to use cleaning the glass because they filter out garbage time, and garbage time is generally not predictive. Like, that's why you want to filter it out. When Curry has been on the floor and James Wiseman has not, the Warriors are outscoring opponents by 8.7 points per 100 possessions. That's really good. Like, that's one of the better teams in the league. When Curry's on the floor with Wiseman, they're being outscored by 7.4 points per 100 possessions, which is not very good. And so, and again, it is fine to play Curry and Wiseman together if what is important to you is... Wiseman developing that chemistry, putting him against starters so that he can be, you know, coached by Draymond so they can start to figure out where he's going to be. Like, there are different arguments here. It's just like if you want to make a cross-board analogy to what you want to do with this talented young quarterback. Do you want him to sit behind your veteran for a year and learn the ropes, or do you want to throw them out into the wolves and see what happens? Like, both strategies have worked, but picking one or the other has very different outcomes. Yeah, well, the other problem is, like, at the moments they have picked the winning side of, you know, the winner development balance, they haven't won enough. You know what I mean? Like Wiseman missed, whatever, almost a couple months, and they were basically 500 in that stretch. They plucked Wiseman from the lineup and put Looney into the starting lineup, you know, back early in the season. And that starting lineup was better than the Wiseman starting lineup, but it's not like they were rattling off, you know, five and one stretches in six games. And last night's a perfect example. You know, they talk about committing to James Wiseman, who, you know, I think last I looked, he's about 15th or 16th among rookies in minutes. He's played less than half of Anthony Edwards minute total this season which is you know a long-term problem the fact that he's way behind some of those other guys for various reasons COVID protocols the wrist injury blah 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 but they only play him 18 minutes last night even though they say they're committing to it and okay fine you're chasing a win problem is you don't get the win you foul like crazy you lose to the Hawks you drop to 23 and 27 and then in the aftermath you're going you're not winning and you're not developing and then it's kind of a two-pronged failure yeah, I mean, Kevon Looney isn't the, oh my God, exactly, there's the answer there. It's got to be more Kevon Looney minutes. I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, I don't know that that's the, you know, the superpower center that you can say, okay, that's why we're sitting James Wiseman in the, in the second quarter and the fourth quarters. Here's, I'm, I'm going to write something later today, I think, saying there's a real practical thing here. they got to find somebody that Wiseman can play with. Who can he get success with? And, and you look through it, and there's really nobody that he's had success with. There's others that have been, you know, less harmful. Danny, like, who, who would you say? Who, who teams with James Wiseman right now? Like, if there's a twosome that I can put with James Wiseman, who would it be? Oof. I mean, the lack of a second pick-and-roll initiator is a real problem with this team. Like, that's who it would be, would be 
backup point guard who isn't bad X. Like, I mean, Monte Morris would be, you know, an example of that. And the, and the Warriors have never really had that guy. Like, that is one of the weirdest things going back to the first Kent Bazemore experiment. They tried him at backup point guard, and that wasn't what he was good at. They traded him for Steve Blake. That also didn't work particularly well. And it hasn't been an organizational focus. Livingston, you know, he was a wonderful player, but he ended up kind of filling a different role. So the answer is I don't have a good choice. But it's also important to put this into a little bit of perspective. And, you know, for various elements of my work, it's something that I like to convey, which is that James Wiseman not being a helpful player to his team winning right now is not the worst thing in the world. Like, that is what happens for extremely young players, and especially, in many ways, guys who have had his unusual route, where he barely played in college and had basically, you know, had had a year where he didn't play competitive basketball. And so it isn't a surprise that he isn't contributing to team success now, and that doesn't mean that he will not be this kind of player forever. I mean, hopefully he can harness these things and become much better. So that's why you have to reconcile it, is that players who are this young generally aren't going to help their teams win. And so getting the reps, is that what's important? Getting wins. And what makes this matter more, what is a fundamentally different conversation, is because you have one of the best players in the NBA who is currently 33 years old. And, you know, we don't know how much longer Steph Curry is going to be Steph Curry. And some of that is, you know, his own physical stuff with something we don't know, but also his mental approach. Like, does he value going for the eight seed, you know, being He's there? He's getting and then- frustrated right now. You could tell. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you saw his post game or last I night, did. but he, I mean, understandably, what, they're four and 12 in the last 16, and he's seeing a season that he. You know, he he mentioned higher expectations last night. Like, this is not a guy who thought they were going to win the title, but they thought four, five, six seed was very possible. They thought noise in the playoffs. I would say second round, they would never admit, "Hey, we're cool with the second round exit." But that felt like what they where they thought this season was headed, and and right now it's headed towards maybe a play in. I'd probably predict that they're going to stabilize because the schedule is soft. Get in the play in tournament, and who knows? Maybe they do win a couple elimination games. But this season clearly did not go as well as Steph Curry thought it was. Right. And you could think about that from the, oh, the star player might not be happy, but it's also, you have one of the greatest players, one of the greatest point guards ever in one of the years that he's going to be there. And the team is not competitive and that can happen. You know, Clay Thompson's injury is no one's fault, but it is something that has fundamentally transformed it. And I don't think my inclination, you guys might have better intel on this than I do, that's going to make like, oh, he's going to leave or anything like that. But it's just, it's the type of decision that part of the reason why you need to pick a lane is because then you can tell everybody on the team, this is the lane we're in. And it sounds like that never really happened. I think, you know, Steph is such a rational guy. And, and even when he's frustrated, he's rational and reasonable. And I think what I see out of that is, he is saying like, okay, if we're going to lose, can I see Wiseman play better, right? Or, or can I see some more development out of something like there, there does need to be more clear, kind of clearly defined, this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And they are kind of going back and forth on it, specifically with Wiseman, but there's some other things. I keep saying this, I don't think Curry is as worried about wasting a year of his prime as everyone else is, but you do want to see, okay, this season happened and this happened positively. We're not doing this just to be next year's number seven seed. We're doing this to be next year's number two seed. If, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call their goals for next year could be. And right now they're not seeing it. Again, this is one moment in the middle of many of a, of a long season. But I think if there is a frustration from Steph 
from Draymond, you know, wh- whoever else. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Well, where is this headed? Like, if this is going to be a nine seed, can it be a nine seed with James Wiseman moving forward? Can it be a nine seed with, with Jordan Poole being a fixed set of a rotation plan into the future? And it, this seems is kind of wavering. So if you're going to be a nine seed, what's a, you know, why are you wavering? Just pick something. And if it ends up being an 11 seed, so what? At least there's progress for the next year's chase for the number two or number three seed. Yeah, you guys kind of have both alluded to it Danny he was talking about you know Wiseman is kind of what you expect a rookie center to be which is like very mistake prone not not contributing to winning but the problem and it's it's what Tim's talking about is James Wiseman looked very promising in December and January he was not necessarily contributing to winning but I remember he made the rising stars game he was hurt at the time he had hurt the wrist which I which was a big setback and the Warriors sent out like a highlight package it was maybe you know 14 James Wiseman plays in his first 18 games and pretty much every game there was like a jaw-dropping highlight now his plus minus wasn't great but it was like coast to coast euro dunk you know spin move hammer okay he you know he uh, blocked a, a timberwolf shot at the rim you know completely outran a center down the court and draymond lobbed it over the top and he like one hand snatches it and soars for a dunk the threes he uh, against the timberwolves he went three for three he was like doing some pin down stuff like there was stuff there that even post game draymond's coming out post game being like i told y'all he was going to be a player watch out and like steph is giving these encouraging comments and, and, and kerr and you felt like wow like they're growing this kid and the expert expectation at the time is you know by April he's going to be contributing a little bit more to winning while still doing some of this stuff and by next season wow you might actually have like you know highlight worthy you know winning component and now suddenly it's to April he has the wrist injury he has the COVID protocol they, they, they've toggled him in and out of the lineup they've talked about running more pick and roll which seems to be more conducive to him but they really haven't committed to it and he's playing worse and you know I don't know how much that blames on him he's clearly in his head that's the other thing the expectations the whole Lamelo stuff that sat over his head and then just some of the criticism lately like he's just getting worse and that's where I think the frustration is and when you hear the postgame comments it's no longer about like the potential it's always about like hey look like you know we have to live with these growing pains and that's the problem it's just like this guy is not showing as much promise as he was three months ago. And that's just not the path that I don't think anyone in the organization expected early on. We hear them talk about him and like he blew them away in the pre-camp stuff. Uh, I know he was out for camp, but you can just hear them when they talk about him. I mean, the stuff that he was doing, he was taking the you know, defensive board and just racing down court and, and hitting a pull-up or, or whatever. Like the, the, the full array of offensive skill was there. They saw it. That's why he started the first game, which I think surprised all of us when it happened. But they were like, this is, this is somebody who can do this. So maybe their expectations got out ahead of reality a little bit just from what they – because the talent is so much there. You can just see what that talent could do when he's playing with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson. It probably got out ahead of what reality is. He, he hits the NBA. He scores a lot in his first few games, but there are mistakes, and there's more mistakes, and there's more mistakes. And I just think maybe if they hadn't been so excited about him early on, this would have been a much more modulated situation. But it seems like they've gotten excited, gotten down, gotten excited again, gotten down. Then they pushed him back out there because they were they forced themselves to, and then were mad that they did that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's Steve. It's Steve Kerr, and it's Bob Myers, and it's Joe Lakeup. But I think there's a coaching aspect to this thing where Kerr feels like he just can't allow certain mistakes to happen without any reason. You know, just let him get out there. He, he just doesn't feel like he can do that. Yet I think at some point, it being April 5, 
they do have to let some of that go. They have to just say, we're going to let him go. We're going to tell him when he makes mistakes, and we're going to highlight when he, he plays well. And I think they're probably a week past that line, but I think it is time to just say, you have, you have to let it go. Because you know, what, what re- what's, what's at stake here? The, the, the eighth versus the ninth seed? That's why last night doesn't make sense to me, because you play him for the first nine minutes of the game. He's actually, that was some of his best first, like those first nine minutes were some of his best minutes in a month. He had eight points. He had a couple lobs at the rim. He was somewhat active on the glass. He hit a jumper, although his foot was on the line. He needs to get behind the line on that jumper. And then he doesn't come back at all in the first half. Same thing, second half. He, he It's a worse nine minutes. He He's a little bit – he's less alert defensively. He had a rebound that he just – he had a putback chance that he just shot over the rim. He looked a little bit more like the struggling Wiseman. And okay, at that point, if you are chasing down a win in the fourth, maybe you don't put him back in. But the problem, like, why didn't he come back in in the second quarter? That's what didn't make sense to me when you're talking about, like, they were plus three with James Wiseman on the court last night. Now, I know in general, if we look at the, the, the wider landscape, they're they're better this season with them not on the court. But last night was a, was a moment that... I don't know why you don't play him because you were kind of playing him and surviving with him last night. Yeah, and Kerr mentioned the matchups not working out, but you know they the Hawks I think played Capella over thirty minutes, so you know you could have just matched him with Capella. You, you, Onyoko was was playing. That's a that's a basically a pure center, also even more limited in some ways in Capella. And so I'm not quite sure what that was because it wasn't like they were playing Gallinari for twenty minutes at center, which I would understand. You don't want him on the court for that. But I just think there is a there's a reluctance for them to play him a second stint, and and that last night was the one where I don't get. And I said at the time, I don't get this. I'm confused by this. It is a real challenge, and I and one of the ways to think about this is just a more human is a more human element. I mean, for those of us who have played sports at other moments in our lives, obviously not at this level, is obviously Wiseman. You know, he he you can see the consequences when things don't go well. But one of the other things you want to do with a young player is reward them when things are going well and give them more confidence. And I think that going to to Anthony's point about the second quarter is the problem. Is like, yeah, maybe that's your plan. Maybe it's not the matchups, but sometimes you just finagle it a little bit. You fudge it a little bit and you say, okay, maybe it's not the greatest matchup, but he played well. We want to make sure that he knows that he played well and did all this because you want to make sure that the highs feel high because otherwise it's just lows and that's a big problem. Well, or they're just looking to, for reasons not to play him. And, and I think he might feel that way. Like they're looking for reasons not to play him as opposed to looking for reasons to play him. And that's coaching. I get it. You, you know, it's not all hearts and flowers. And you want to make sure they have the right you know, habits and you want to make sure that they don't feel like anything's given to them. But I think at this point, the second stint in the second quarter and the fourth quarter made all the sense in the world. Just get him back out there. Particularly and if he's the ter- second quarter. Yeah, if he, and if he's not playing well, then pull him out again. The absence of Wiseman was, was notable. It was notable for everybody. Again, this is not a team driving for home court in the first round. This is not what they are. It's what hasn't been what they are all season. You know, there's still some games left. They can make another tack, you know, another course correction. But that was bizarre last night, and, and I think a little bit, you know, it felt like they th- they're thinking it's February, and it's not. It's April 5th. It just speaks to the problem we're talking about. I mean, trying to win and develop and not doing either. Beyond that, I I think Ubre struggles in the last month should be noted. He was like a big time player in what I think was January. Remember he had that stretch to get a 40 point game in Dallas. I think he was 44% for the whole month from three. And he's obviously shown to be very streaky, hot and cold. But the whole trade deadline, will they, won't they... And then them not trading him, him having the post-game presser about, about coming off the bench. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Andrew Bogut went on a podcast and basically said, 
some of the more veteran voices in the locker room didn't necessarily appreciate Kelly Oubre <laughs> signaling that even when Clay Thompson comes back, he doesn't want to. Who might that be? I'm trying to think who that might be. But... I think there's a few. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, beyond that, like, there's a lot swirling over Kelly Oubre in this contract season. I mean, he has a, a desired payday coming up. He has his, you know, career desires. But, you know, we talk about Wiseman being in his head a little bit with, with just kind of the swirling noise of the season. Oubre seems to be, too. I mean, he just, he hasn't, he had a, a really nice start to the game, a little like Wiseman yesterday in Atlanta, but wasn't great the rest of the game five fouls he's been you know a part of this just like foul happy wing situation they have there they average the third most fouls in the league 45 hawks free throws last night and he's just not playing that well and they didn't trade him and they now need to decide on the summer situation that situation is just like we talk about a season spiraling the Ubre situation has spiraled Something that I find absolutely fascinating about the Warriors and was something that I was looking at going into the trade deadline and, you know, obviously now still into the offseason is it looks to me like a lot of what happened from the start of last offseason to now is thinking about the 21-22 Warriors. And so that the biggest difference is the return of Klay Thompson. And so you're thinking about where this team can go. And it isn't just one five-man lineup, but you know that Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond are going to be out there, and then you're trying to figure out, well, what else is it going to be? And so you're probably thinking about four other guys who are going to play in some configuration. And, you know, right now, Wiggins and Wiseman look like they're going to be two of those guys. And then one of the spots was Ubre slash somebody you can trade Kelly Ubre for, whether that is Lonzo Ball or Spencer Dinwiddie or a wing or something else. And one of the challenges with that is, okay, what do you want? What makes sense? Is it do you want a shooter who's who can space the floor a little bit? Do you want somebody who's maybe a defensive option or a wing defender because you don't like depending on what Clay's going to be moving forward? And so it kind of felt at the time like, okay, well, what Bob Myers chose was they liked Ubre better than the other things they could get. But the problem with that is Ubre's an unrestricted free agent, and to some extent at least, you need him to be on board with that too. Yeah, and practically, I'm looking at this and saying, this is a player who's going to get $18 million a year in a, over four years. And there's no way, not not the player we've seen for the last month or so. I'm not sure what the market's going to be. Who knows? You know, it just takes one team to think this. Uh, and there's the Warriors glitter still. You know, people still do pay for being on the Warriors. But, man, I think if this is a guy who thinks he's playing himself into a starting role, like what good team would start Kelly Oubre right now? There aren't a lot. And there's kind of a reason why he's bounced around. There is He has a role, get up on the ball, pressure the ball, and then he's best, He's basically the backup power forward, which I keep saying is their, by far their biggest need right now. They must have a backup power forward because they don't have one. And it hits them in a lot of different places because they just don't have the versatility to have this decent power forward who can shoot from three to plug them in wherever. They just don't have that player. Oubre is giving, he's giving them minutes there. They can, you know, that's a big help. But he's not an $18 million to $20 million player. He's just not. He's 14 stretching it, if you ask me. Now, maybe this will come back to haunt me when he dominates the league for the next 20 games. And But I don't see it. And that's why one of the reasons I've said I don't know that losing him would be a terrible thing for them and getting back nothing. I, I just don't know that they'd like it, they'd want it. But if Clay's back and they get another two-guard in the draft or something, 
is it possible he wouldn't even be in the rotation like significantly next season? Is it? I think it's possible that would happen. Not to the degree that he'd want to be. He'd be in the rotation, but you know, as like a energy wing off the bench. Yeah, he might I, not be a sixth man next season. He might be more like an eighth man next season. I do want to say, you know, that Andrew Bogut's about to get his second reference of the podcast, and Ethan Strauss <laughs> not even on it. I know how's that possible? But Bogut Bogut made a comment on his podcast that has lit up social media a bit. Also, that the Warriors turned down an offer of. Lon- he had heard the Warriors turned down an offer of Lonzo Ball and a pick for, for Ubre is the way he presented it. I've been told that's not even close to true. There was some early Ubre Lonzo talk, like, you know, prior to the deadline. New Orleans never, never even came back to the table on Lonzo, and it doesn't even seem like New Orleans by the end was shopping Lonzo, who's, who's had really kind of uh, a resurrected season. From what I've heard, I mean, the offers for Ubre were, were more, you know, in-season downgrades, maybe small assets, salary dump possibilities, nothing that would have helped this current team more. Now, the argument could be made, like, get whatever you can if you're not going to re-sign him. And, and, and if he doesn't come back and if they don't even get a trade exception for him, I think that's criticizable. But Lonzo Ball in a pick was not on the table for Kelly Oubre. If it was that, they should have run to the friggin' like, this. let's make this happen immediately now. Don't even think about it. I'm sure they would have, by the way. I think Dinwiddie is an interesting one, and there's been a report that that was offered, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I understand why they wouldn't do it because they wanted to win this season, but you know, they're they're not going to win much this season. I think something like that, and Danny would like you would want to know behind the scenes, like is Dinwiddie cool? You know, you need to right. know if he's coming over and he's willing because he's unrestricted too, and he wants a payday. And would he be a sixth man? So you know, those are conversations we're not part of. You know, like agent, other franchise. Hey, if if we got Dinwiddie, would he be willing to be, you know, so I, I don't know on that one. It's not only would he be willing to come, but what would the price be? And what what do you, and, and some of the, there's always going to be some puffery around it, especially for somebody like Dinwiddie who is missing this entire year with the torn ACL. So like, maybe he thinks he's going to get 25 million, but maybe nobody gets it. But I'll make a little bit of the argument in favor of Ubre, which I think is something worthwhile. And okay, so if you, if we game it out, and let's say that after these injuries, Clay Thompson's best defensive role, because he's just maybe a little bit, little bit more limited mobility-wise, is probably guarding twos and threes rather than guarding ones. Like that was what he did so well in the dynasty run. But maybe just getting older, you know, he's going to be two, three years older than he was before too. That he's better on those twos, threes. I still, still think he's going to be a very good defender. Just specializes in something different. You want to have somebody in the rotation. I would say ideally in the starting lineup, or somebody who can start. Who can handle those matchups? Who who you can navigate around screens? Who can do that? Because a Steph Curry, that's not what he does best. But also because you don't want to ask him to do that because that's too much work for your offensive engine. So the Warriors don't have another guy who really fits that bill on roster. I don't think Ubre is the perfect player for it by any stretch of the imagination. But if you need somebody to do that, that is actually like one of the things I've I've, I've been impressed with by Ubre this year. Like he's impressed me with it, is that. And so if it's not Ubre, it's going to be somebody else. And when you consider that the Warriors don't have a ton of flexibility, whether we're talking trades or we're talking anything else, then it's an important gap to fill. And I wonder how they intend to fill it if it's not Ubre. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, I'm going to say the kind of controversial name here. It's Bazemore. You know, he can be as clunky as anybody. No question. The league's leader in perimeter fouls per 36 minutes, Kent Bazemore. Oh, I thought you were going for the league leader in clunkiness, Kent Bazemore. Yeah, that, that also no, no. too. That also. Maybe the all-time leader. But guess who their leaning plus minus cumulative over the season has been before last night. I didn't redo it after last night. It's Kent Bazemore. He can guard ones and twos. Now, he, he bops around with them, understand, gets them in, in the penalty, all those things. I'm just using him, and again, people get really mad when I do this because Warriors fans now hate Kenton Bazemore. Whatever. He's, he's tough to watch sometimes. But the Warriors don't get blasted when he's out there. They do not. And there's a reason for this. He's athletic. He can hit the board sometimes. He can Recently he hasn't, but he can make a shot. He has a bit of a playmaker, and he can defend. And I'm just saying, if Kelly Oubre is costing you $60 million a year plus all the tax dollars, and Kent Bazemore is another veteran, veteran's minimum next season or whatever he might be, what's the big loss there? And then try to get another Kent Bazemore who's not as good as Kent Bazemore. And I know, okay, the entire Warriors nation just had an apoplexy when I said that. But I don't know that there's a huge loss. Not that huge of a loss. It's, it's a loss. You would want Oubre on the team. But at what cost... And is he going to be grumpy the whole time anyway? He thinks he's going to have a bigger role than that. And well, I'm if he signs, I assume he's yeah. signing to not be grumpy, right? And that's part of it. <laughs> who, knows? Who, knows? who knows? Again, and we don't know what Clay. You know, this could be a starting role next season. It really could for the start of it because Clay not, may not be ready. Clay might be better off as a six man. These are unknowns. I just think that the Ubre, however much I respect defensive play and a guy who can guard Liller and a guy who can guard Trey Young and all these things. I don't think it's worth $30 million if you add the tax in. I just don't think it's worth that. And so if that's what he is, then I don't think the drop-off to Kent Bazemore at $5 million a year if he had the tax is not is as much as you know the value of, of, the, of the dollars. I really don't think that. Let's say Kelly Uber has a $15 million offer from I don't know, the Orlando Magic somewhere. Na- name, name your team. Sacramento um, Kings. Sacramento, Sacramento Kings. Kings. I don't mind the idea of... Gordon Hayward style, throwing in a second round pick to Sacramento for a sign and trade, getting the trade exception, going into the season, understanding, you know, Clay is going to be eased back in. You use one of your first round picks because, well, you're going to at least have your own now. We can we can eliminate them from from uh, that top 20 protection. And it's getting yeah, better it's 13 and better. 13 as we're speaking. It's yeah. like the 13th pick. You know, maybe you use one of those picks on a wing. You know, if you got four or five, maybe you got Kaminga or something in here. And, and, and we've had the conversation about not relying on a 19-year-old to come in and be part of winning. But you're going to want to carve out minutes if you have a 19-year-old to see what they are early on. And maybe you use a more win now. You know, you go for more win now prospect at 13. 
13, something like that. That's an argument. And also you have the trade exception. You go into the season. You go closer to the deadline. You, by that point, know how does Clay really look in his return? How do those rookies look? What's the entire situation? You know, how does Wiseman look? Maybe you need center help at that point, you decide. You just extend the life of the Iguodala trade exception to Ubre to suddenly it becomes the Ubre trade exception. I don't mind that idea. But if he walks for nothing, I mean, I'm in general agreement with Danny. Like, you're a worse team with absolutely no Kelly Oubre compared to at least somebody that can fill Kelly Oubre's salary slot. I agree with that. But, you know, can they get the pick? We'll see. Dan, I'm going to ask you a question. Since you look at the league stuff much more uh, and all the time, let's say the Minnesota pick is that they get the Minnesota pick and it's five. And and they're a little leery about a 19-year-old plugging in right away when you have a 20-year-old center who they've had some you know skitteriness. What's available, do you think, on the trade market for the five pick? Five would be a great place for them to end up. From what I'm hearing, I mean, let's exclude Kate Cunningham from, from that because he's probably not going to be around. But there are five guys that teams are really interested in. And so, yes, you would rather be, you know, two or something like that because then it's you can get whoever you want. But there will be teams interested in whether it's Kaminga or Green or whoever whoever ends up falling that far. I don't think it's going to be Jalen Suggs, um, but whoever it is. So I think you're looking at, you could probably trade that pick for a solid but not star potential starter. And like that, that's a pretty, I'm trying to think about who exactly like would fit that description, like a single player. You know, maybe somebody at the, you know, and I'm not saying the same type of player, but maybe something like what, Iguodala in not maybe not prime Iguodala but like a little bit post prime Iguodala was somebody who's who's not going to be the best player on a good team not probably going to be the second best player on a good team but can be a part of the starting lineup and the reason why another team does that is because they're getting somebody who's young and cost controlled and has some real upside so that could be their path to adding and and also you could think about it there are a couple different ways to engineer this where the Warriors could get that pick and maybe they're having conversations with Kelly Oubre and they kind of move all these things in one transaction. It might be hard to get all the moving parts right, but it could be like, okay, Kelly Oubre gets signed and traded to this team. And then we use that same transaction because the salary matching laws are flexible to acquire another player from a different team involving the draft pick. So that, that's one way of doing it. You could also sign the player and then that would be matching salary. But I think that could be another way to a real difference maker. Now, I would argue, as I did last year, that if they can get a pick that somebody highly regarded as available, you probably actually want to take that guy because then they can be a foundation moving forward. Yeah, it's probably going to take a year or two, but you're going to need those players. And I mean, that's part of why I was arguing in favor of LaMelo. We don't need to relitigate that unless you guys want to. But that would be the idea is that whether like Kaminga, who I've only seen a little bit of with the G League Knight, he would be the most interested in me. It's like, yeah, he's probably not going to be a huge positive for the 21 22 warriors but if there is a one in 20 chance a one in 10 chance a one in five chance that he could be the best or second best player on the next great warriors team then the chances of finding that player especially when you don't have salary flexibility are extremely low so i think that you you want to take those opportunities when you get them i totally agree and i probably would do that but that's where you might get into the patience of steph curry and draymond green because they don't want to go through we got another one of these guys and now we got to go through this again and, and, you know, in the lineup, out of the lineup. And then Wiseman still might be going through some of it next season. I think that's when you start getting the clock ticking in their brains. And it's already started ticking. We can tell. 
But that's when I think there might be some, like, we could have got, it's not C.J. McCollum, but I think that's the level of player you're talking about probably, like that kind of player. I'd say it's a level down from that, but you're, okay. you know, like a, a solid a solid start. Like I'm Aaron sure. Gordon, not now because he's in Denver, but probably like Aaron yeah, Gordon. Yeah, I think Aaron Gordon's, Aaron Gordon's a good one. Like he's, you know, the Robert Covington level of player where it's like they would cost a couple of firsts, but the number five pick is way better than two late firsts. Yeah, Sabonis. Sabon, maybe Sabonis is too good, but I'm thinking that's the level of player I'm thinking there were. Not quite an all-star or maybe maybe an all-star at one point, but not certainly not a guy that you're you're building a foundation on. But I'm I okay, I got a, I got it in my head. Okay, got it. Yeah, I think you just I mean, you just involve Steph Curry and Draymond Green in the summer conversations. I think that's probably where this is going to. We don't know what's going to be on the table. I I don't think you make a panic move because you have to make a move. You know, there was talk at the draft when people were like, they got to get off this second pick and get some some win-now help. And, like, there's people right now who might say, hey, look, they should have done that. They would have been better this season if you had a veteran instead of Wiseman. But some of the argument at the draft was like, you know, go get LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, trade two and Wiggins for Aldridge. You know, and it's like, okay, Aldridge literally just got bought out. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, those were coming from San Antonio, by the way, those yeah. voices. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't think that there was anything on the table around the draft that would have been appealing enough to get off the second pick. I still think James Wiseman holds a plenty of trade value, particularly for he'd be a perfect player right now for, you know, like a Thunder or something, a team that wants to develop a potentially high level talent, but also kind of lose in the process. Like, you know, there's still value for that. I'll give you one dream target. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be moving him, but it would be a, a different kind of gamble. And he's been hurt all year. But Jaron Jackson Jr., theoretically, if that were available as somebody who, you know, Michigan Stater, Draymond Green, you know, could fit. Now, it would be a concession that maybe Wiseman isn't going to be that guy. I'd want to see the medicals. I don't want to see the medicals. I mean, yeah, he's had had meniscus surgery. But somebody who does something different, maybe they think Wiseman could be that. But the other reason why a Jackson trade would be really interesting is it's two bites at the same apple. But that's fine. You know, like you, you want, all you want is to get one of them to work. If the Warriors can get that fourth guy, and maybe there's an argument that Wiggins is, is, a, is a fifth, things will look a lot better. And that's also the, the interesting part about Oubre and, and a lot of these other guys that have struggled a little bit in, in, in the roles that they're in is that when you add somebody above in the pecking order, it just makes life so much easier. And I think you, you invoked Aaron Gordon earlier in this podcast. Aaron Gordon is a really interesting example of this. Like once he got slotted in behind... Jokic, who also is just a specifically good fit, a lot of those things made more sense. Like, oh, when Aaron Gordon doesn't have to do as much, he's a lot better. And I think that improved spacing with Clay and some of the the things that he patches up defensively that they just don't have a guy to do right now, that a lot of those limitations for other players won't be as infuriating to coaches and the fan base as they are right now. If they could get him and you have the medicals are okay, I think that would be incredible for them i mean i might even think wiseman for for jaron jackson it's just that that's a player who fits with them i think you know a big three shooting power forward that's exactly what they need and you can fake him at the vibe it's uh interesting that those are the names i was curious about and, and i'm glad you brought him up dan i don't know whether he would be available or not but i think that would be when you start talking about the warriors hey we're gonna get a 19 year old and a 20 year old you know with our two great picks here we'll plug them right in and then we don't know what's going to happen in the future I think, but we're set for 24-25. I think that's where you, you're you going to get Steph and Draymond go, okay, now, wait a minute. Like, that doesn't exactly seem to fit where we're going here. And look what we just went through with Wiseman. So uh, I think there is some sense 
that they could be looking for a trade here. And I'm just trying to get a picture of what that might look like. I would think that there's some more interesting names out there, possibly. I mean, everybody throws Bradley Beal out there at this point. I just don't think they're going to pay another $40 million for a guard. I just, I, I guess it's hard to fit all that in. They think long and hard if that's on the table. Now they need to know what the full price would be because that's not just Wiseman. That's Wiseman, Wolves pick, future firsts. And Washington has to want Wiggins back, right? And there's no, there's no, you know, guarantee of that just to make the salaries work. So I think Beal's a tough one. I think Beal's just a tough one because of the position and because you've already got Clay making 38. You know, it's just it's a tough way to to, to work all this into that. I think they're going to want, and instead of a 19-year-old, they're going to want a 25-year-old. And if they can do that with one of the picks, hey, their own pick might turn out to be like nine. Hey, if they get in a lottery, it might end up one, two, three. So um, the lottery is going to be huge. We've been talking about that forever. It's a momentous day for the organization. I also think they're they're kind of tuned in to see what they can get in the trade market right now, maybe over a 19-year-old. Yeah, I think that what Wiseman shows them the rest of the season, which is what I've kind of written about, they want to know more about him and then also where the picks are uh, would determine value of their package and their desire to move off that package. Um, last thing I wanted to ask Danny about is, you know, there's there's a couple other younger pieces that the Warriors are, are, are trying to develop. One right now, Eric Pascal is going through a very rough second season after he was all rookie first team, um, basically has, you know, descended out of the rotation and then now is injured. He got injured in that 53 point blowout, tried to break up an alley-oop, hip flexor strain out at least two weeks. And then the flip side of that, Jordan Poole, who had a very bad rookie season, you know, a little bit more encouraging at the end has now flipped that G League bubble experience into what feels like a pretty firm spot on next year's team he's slumping a bit of late i think he's seven to 29 from three in the last batch of games but he had an eight nine game stretch where he was like 20 points per game on like 50 40 80 basically what have you thought about pool's emergence and pascal's kind of descent so pascal he was somebody i really liked last year i thought that he you know one of those players it's very unusual who came in kind of ready in the sense that you kind of knew what he did well and he worked and sometimes he was overly aggressive but remember last year's team that was kind of okay because they didn't have enough of anything so my the challenge for me with pascal is just what is he on a good team like there's been some interesting stuff when he's played small ball five but i think on a better team he's more of like a combo forward but you want to have you know then you'd ideally want to have a center who could space the floor a little bit so that's a real challenge pool has been fascinating because i had seen a little bit of the footage of him at michigan and i was not super impressed and then he was terrible last year i mean he was he was the one of the most damaging players in the nba and that doesn't mean anything like that doesn't necessarily mean most damaging player is going to be terrible forever but sometimes they are and when he came back especially like the g league bubble and then when he came back from that he's just looked like a totally capable nba player who could, I mean, when you think about the degree of improvement it takes to get from where he was to where he is, and not that he's been there every game as, as you were talking about, but that is a very good place to be. And so I don't know yet, and I would need to watch more film. I need to kind of really think about it. Sometimes it's good to separate a little bit from the season to get there, whether he is the answer to this question. I mean, th this is one of my favorite things. I've trotted out for years. Tim's probably edited this way too many times of the Warriors have never had a league average offense when Steph Curry's been off the floor in any of it basically since the first year they made the playoffs in 12 13. He's never, they've never had a league average offense when he's been off the floor. I don't know yet if 
Poole is the only guy who could do it. Like, you know, if, if, if he's the best offensive player, if you get there, but he can at least be a part of that solution. And that is extremely necessary for the Warriors. I'm going to preview my column again. One thing is just because it's come up. I think Wiseman and Poole should be in the second unit. I mean, they tried it. They pulled it out again. They tried it. I think Wiseman can start, pull him out, and go in that second unit because you need offense there. Is Dan, like, they desperately need offense in that unit. You, you hope for defense. You have Oubre in there for defense, maybe Bazemore in for defense. But those two guys might score six buckets all, you know, all of a sudden. They might hit a couple three-pointers. They might run up and down. And I think it's a good, a good way pick to get roll. Wiseman. Yeah, pick pick, it's a good way to get Wiseman minutes, you know, without the, you know, without Steph and Draymond. You get some with Steph and Draymond, and you get some without. And you know, when you look over what his best plus minus minutes are, it's not with as Danny. It's not with Steph. It's not with. It's certainly not with Wiggins. He's not a positive with anybody, but he's less a negative with those other guys. With Poole, with Bazemore, you know, that, and and maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe there isn't. I just think I'd like to see him in a second unit with Poole and just let them go a little bit. They tried it with Nico out there. Remember, Steve said Poole's not a not a point guard. He's a combo guard. Well, all of a sudden now he's a point guard, and I think that was just natural. It was it was Kerr just tr- trying to like trying to force man unit. That's fine. He cannot handle it defensively in the NBA right now. He just can't. And let's see, Poole with Wiseman in the second unit. I think that is a it is a solution to some of this. Just be committed to those two guys who are going to be to start the second and the fourth quarters, and they'll play it from there. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A quick thing on that. I think one of my biggest criticisms of the way the front offices assembled the roster the last few years is that you know that Steph and Draymond are best together. Those are forces that are better combined than separated because, I mean, especially because of Draymond's limitations, but also his his strengths too. And what the Warriors haven't done is had a theory of the case offensively when Curry's off the floor. And that's what I think the pool Wiseman pairing gets the closest to of anything in modern vintage of okay it might not work all the time but at least this is something we can do and you can run some high pick and roll you can kind of get the ball moving hopefully you get as much in transition as you absolutely can and then ideally if you're thinking about next year like you could go for that same approach and then add one more person who can create one more person who can initiate yeah, and who's better yeah, yeah. who's better than nico manian or it could have just be somebody you signed for the minimum who doesn't have the same strengths and weaknesses that brad wanamaker did and like wanamaker a good player who again the theory part of it was the problem and i, I think a nice little that, game for charlotte the other day yeah <laughs> charlotte charlotte a team a, a team that can kind of use the i mean until half their team got hurt that could use the things that Wanamaker does well. The Celtics last year was a great example of this. And so I would hope that that is something Bob Myers can take away from this season is this is the start of something that can work. And I also like Tim's idea about playing Wiseman in a mix of both. So he, yeah, he can start games and, and if he's doing well, he can finish, but you give him a little bit of those two different sets of reps. And another reason why you do that is it's good for guys who aren't dangerous at the moment to play against inferior competition. Like, yes, the idea eventually is you drafted Wiseman second overall. You want him to battle with the 
Jokic's and whether you want to take steps down to Vooch and, and Capella and various other levels of center. But you also want some time for him to face these like six foot nine dudes that are never going to start and be like, oh, I'm way better than these guys. I can play in the NBA. And it could be a really healthy balance for Wiseman in terms of getting that kind of confidence boost, but also getting some experience and understanding, okay, maybe I'm just in quadruple A right now, but here's where I need to get to. I have my column now. There it is. There's my column for later today. <laughs> I've just been thinking about that. I just like, they've been trying all these different things. Just get them with both guys. Get them with both groups and, and, and see how that works. Instead of just jamming them one time with Steph and Draymond, all the stakes are high. Starts the game, starts the first, second half, and then he's not coming back in again. I don't get that. It just seems to put it all on one thing, right? putting all your money on one thing with Wiseman when you can split it and you can just kind of let him feel the game a little bit more that way. Quickly before we get out of here, I think the six-game stretch coming up for the Warriors is one of their last best chances to somewhat correct this season and send it down a brighter path. You know, there's four very winnable games mixed into two tough games, but it's a four-game home stand: Milwaukee, Washington, uh, Houston, Denver. I mean, you've got to sweep the Wizards, Rockets back-to-back, and then if you can maybe split Bucks and Nuggets both at home, try to snake one of them, you could be 3-1 and one in that little four-game home stand. And then you start a longer road trip, but you start it with – the tanking thunder and the cavaliers so like of those next six games that's four very winnable games and then if you could try to split you know one of the two i think four and two is a decent outcome there five and one is on the table but also you know with this team one and five seems to be on the table the way they're playing the last month they've been terrible on the road slater i mean in a season without money fans that's bizarre to me i mean do you got any theory on, on why they're so bad on the road this season um, what well, I'm looking right now, nine and eighteen on the road, fourteen yeah, and bad. nine at home, um, and some really nine, bad losses. Yeah, the Raptors one that you're about to allude to. There's been some just blowout L's, but I think in general, if you just think about some of the ones they punted away, they're basically all on the road, and and they should have won. They should have won the Portland game right before the the road trip. The Charlotte one where Draymond gets the double technical, that's just a horrendous loss. Uh, Orlando right before that, I think they blew a thirteen point fourth quarter lead. Um, San Antonio, Dallas when they were in that like little. Texas four gamer um, you lost two there that you probably should have won late so I think if suddenly three of those should have been wins you throw to the to the win column first of all I think they're a bit over 500 then and then the road record doesn't look as bad they've just you know the Memphis loss where, where Looney sits out Curry sits out they probably should have won anyways that they, they screw up down the stretch it's just a lot of bad stuff's happened in this season. yeah it's just weird that it's all on the road when there's not been a crowd it's just like you expect the you know meltdowns to happen when and you got 18,000 screaming you not when you got 200 but hey, it's, the way it's, it's the way it's happened Slater can I ask you one quick question I don't know if you know this that um, my podcast partner Nate Duncan and I have a bet going about something that you might provide some insight and that is I'm not going to tell you who's on which side, but it is about whether Alan Smilegeach will finish the regular season Smiley with a roster. Smilegeach gets another segment to close the podcast. This is the regular. Whether he will have a be on the Warriors 15, whether he'll be on the roster at the end of the regular season. Which way do you think that goes? I was leaning no, but now I'm gathering it's it's likely yes because they have two open roster spots now. So JTA will probably be converted at some point. The buyout market doesn't seem to be flush with guys right now. So I don't think that they're necessarily feeling like they're going outside of the organization. I don't expect the DPE to be used. I believe it expires April 9th. Now, April 8th is coming up. I'm trying to look at the date now. Yeah, by like Thursday, they have to add somebody 
as a 14th man. You know, that might be Mannion or JTA. As far as Smilagic goes, he has a non-guarantee for next season, and I believe it guarantees like a week in a free agency, but that can be negotiated away, and you could basically throw that non-guarantee into like, you know, the start of next season, which would give them uh, the ability to throw him on the summer league team, even bring him to camp next year and just basically punt back a decision that we all believe is eventually going to come, which is like Alan Smiley will not have a 15 man roster spot on next season's team. The way they've set up this roster at this point, that decision doesn't seem to be have to be made until the end of camp next year, probably. Unless he says, no, I don't want to push that guarantee back, then it happens in free agency. I would agree. He's probably going to, he's going to be on the roster at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing that Warriors fan like, they can criticize the entire Smiley Geach, you know, project in general, the trading two second-round picks to get to 39 to take him, the fact that he hasn't developed, obviously. But in general, I think... Now they should just concern themselves like, is he taking up a 15-man roster spot on next season's team? And my guess would be no at this point. And that, that's really what matters moving forward, even if you don't like what happened to get it to this point. Which one of you says he's not going to be on the roster? That mean, mean old Nate? Mean old Nate, and so no, I, I think I think I'm going to win, which means that he will get a punishment of watching watching some probably Mason Plumley post ups. But that'll be <laughs> um, that'll be it'll be fun, and yeah, and it's also like I mean I, I like what Slater brought up in terms of that it, it is a separate question now of should he be on versus were the were there mistakes in the past, and I think that is always a very important thing for fans, but also front office types to do themselves, which is separating the past from the present and the future because you owe it to your team to make the right decisions moving forward and yeah maybe you thought you thought you outsmarted the league and thought that this guy was going to be super good but and it, it is embarrassing to admit failure and just sometimes you you have to admit success the warriors as marcus thompson brings up all the time they drafted the best player that they got in 2012 they drafted him with their the third selection like that can happen too and so as I'm reading it with Smiley Geach, I mean, it ends up it ends up being a mistake, but that should not, you know, the past shouldn't impact where they go moving forward. Sunk cost, we call it. Sunk cost in the VC world that I so eagerly inhabit. The main point is if they don't feel the urgency to add extra players on this season's roster, which they don't seem to be showing, then it doesn't really matter at this point to take him as long as it's non-guaranteed. And then once anything about next season becomes guaranteed, that's that seems to be the breaking point. So I guess you just give them a chance to to somehow break out in summer league or camp, which is not really expected, but you know, it's non-guaranteed. He'll be on the roster. Yep. All right, guys. Uh we will talk to you next week. Danny, we really appreciate you pinch hitting here today. Big minutes, anything, big minutes. Anything you want to plug before we get out of here? I mean, you can um, check out Dunked On Prime uh, and or Dunked On. We do public episodes Sunday night slash Monday morning. Then the rest are a subscription service, which is a lot of fun. And we are also doing live broadcasts. That's something that we've done. And so now it's with League Pass. And so you can watch us and watch the game we're doing on Monday. We're doing Dallas and Utah, which is fun. But we do that every week. We did. Um, we've done some Warriors games, um, it, it, but it's it's just a lot of fun. And I mean, our dream has always been to have it so that you can watch the game and listen to us. And thanks to the NBA for making that happen. Adam Silver, Adam Silver, tapping Danny LaRue and Nate Duncan. Love it. Love it. All right. Check it out. Uh, and we will talk to you next week.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.